Hello and welcome to the Bible in a Year podcast. I am your host, Jay Smith, here with Jimmy Doyle and Travis Bruno. We are in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7 uh, today. And if you are not following along, we're reading the Gospels in a year this year. So starting in January, uh, which is actually February now, which that flew by, um, which I'm actually kind of grateful for. But uh, we are in the gospel. So starting in the gospel of Mark, because it was the first, um, or at least most experts and scholars would say it was the first gospel to be written. And so uh, we are starting with the gospel of Mark chapter seven. And so we're just going to break it down piece by piece, uh, walking through some major themes. And, and just as an emphasis for chapter seven, this is most definitely a thematic passage. That was one of the things that kept coming back to me as we read it, is if you've been watching the overall um kind of message of Mark's gospel, uh, this one really puts more kind of flesh around one of the major themes of the gospel. And so we'll, in line with Mark, keep that a secret until it is revealed within the conversation that we're about to have. So Jimmy, Travis, how are you guys? Doing good. Doing good, Jay. Good, man. Well, it's good to see y'all. I just want to make sure we we emphasize or reemphasize the fact that we do have a forum at read-scripture.com. We just encourage you that if you're not doing it to join us together, we believe that scripture is is best engaged in community. And so uh, jump in, read with us, comment if you have any questions, anything we can address on the podcast as well. Uh, we may occasionally have a Q&A opportunity for you. So if there's some themes or some different things that walk across your uh, time and reading that you think we could deal with or should deal with, just let us know. We love to have a little bit of a input from you, but engage their comment, be a part of the forum, and uh, let's grow deeper in our relationship <clears throat> with Jesus through encountering the Gospels. Uh, so, all right, here we go. In Mark chapter 7, uh, Mark chapter seven, we're starting off. Jesus is uh, doing what he always does, hangs out with his disciples and at the beginning here, and I'll just be reading. And as I mentioned, when I read from the NET on the podcast, NRSV is my other translation that I'll often go to. Uh, and I don't have much insight other than the fact that the NET has some great notes if you're following it online. So uh, verse one of chapter seven. Now the Pharisees and some of the experts in the law who came from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus. And they saw that some of Jesus' disciples ate their bread with unclean hands, that is, unwashed. And then parenthetically, for the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they perform a ritual washing, holding fast to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. They hold fast to many other traditions, the washing of cups, pots, kettles, and dining couches, end of parenthetical. The Pharisees and the experts in the law asked him, why do your disciples not live according to tradition of the elders, but eat with unwashed hands? And then Jesus responds to them, Isaiah prophesied correctly about you hypocrites. As it is written, the people honor, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching this doctrine, the commandments of men. And then verse eight, having no regard for the command of God, you hold fast to human tradition. Okay. So let me stop there. Uh, one of the things that that I would love, Jimmy, for you to kind of speak to is when they utilize the language of tradition of the elders or these kind of what we would see as, uh, I don't know, non-biblical or non-Old Testament text. Uh, is that what they're speaking toward? What what would be the traditions of the elders? Are we looking at the Talmud or these different kind of texts that they would have been referencing toward? Or is this is this just another way to define the Torah? 
Um, no, they're talking about, I mean, they are fully aware that it's the, literally it's the handing, what's been handed down from the elders. And in Judaism, uh, when we talked about this before, this is that, that thing, that halakha. So God gives commands there is the written Torah, the written law in, in the Bible, but not all of those laws are explained on how they are to be enacted in everyday life. And the easiest one to talk about is Sabbath because God says don't do any work, but he doesn't really describe very much about what work is. And so from that is the idea that those laws have to be interpreted and that God gave human beings the right to interpret those laws. So in the Mishnah, which is a collection of what would have been these oral handed down sayings after the destruction of the temple and after the destruction of Jerusalem in the second century, uh, these oral sayings are collected in a, in a text called the Mishnah. And in that Mishnah, it says, Moses received the Torah at Sinai and handed it on to Joshua and Joshua to the elders and the elders to the prophets and the prophets handed it on to the men of the great assembly uh, and what they mean by the great assemblies at the time of Ezra. And when Ezra comes back from the exile and he explains and interprets the Torah to the people, they do it in Hebrew and they also do it in Aramaic. The idea is, is that Ezra is carrying on this authority that started with Moses to interpret the law for the people. And these become what is handed down um, by the elders. And this is that idea of authority too. So Jesus has been challenged, where do you get in your authority to interpret the law? Because the whole idea is that you have to have some line, some line of connection from yourself all the way back to Moses. So I get my authority from Rabbi so and so, who got his authority from Rabbi so and so through Ezra, back to Joshua, back to Moses. And so that's kind of the idea. And at the time of Jesus, this concern about you know clean or unclean or ritual purity is huge in the eyes of the Pharisees and some of the other groups. And we've talked about how there's these mikvah baptismal pools where they're washing. What's interesting here is the word for wash that happens in this passage a lot is actually baptize. They baptize their hands. They baptize pots. Um, they're immersing themselves when they come back from the marketplace. Um, and <clears throat> this ritual purity idea comes out of the book of Leviticus, which only applied to the priests, the Levites, and that when they went into the temple, they were supposed to be ritually pure. But by the time you get to Jesus, the Pharisees had interpreted that to be, if since if all of our people would be like priests, if we would all be ritually pure, then God can come back and dwell in his temple. And so this focus on having everything to be ritually pure, they're probably looking at a passage um, out of Zechariah that basically says all the pots and utensils that are used around the temple will be as pure as and as clean as those that are used um, right before the altar. And so they're, they're just trying to clean everything. And that sounds so foreign to us because it is foreign to us in, in real ways, but they're really trying to be faithful. I mean, that's, that's the whole goal. And so it's, it's easy to look at that as legalism, but from their perspective, it's, man, we've got to be faithful to what it is that God is calling us to. But just like us, they can get it wrong. Like we think that we know what faithfulness looks like. And sometimes we get that wrong. Um, Jesus points out to them that, Hey, you've gotten some of these things wrong. What's interesting is they're challenging uh, Jesus' disciples. I mean, they're eating bread with, with uh, the, the Greek word here is common hands. It's not actually unclean. It's everyday. They're eating bread with everyday hands. 
And because they're not washing, they're not making their hands holy. Remember that the chapter before, Jesus has fed 5,000 people and they ate bread. And so what it also says is they eat their loaves. They saw that some of his disciples ate the loaves with unclean hands. And a lot of scholars think that this is tying back into that feeding of the 5,000 picture that Jesus is feeding all these hungry people, but this religious group is really more concerned about whether or not people's hands were clean or not. Um, So adventures and missing the point, as Tony Campolo would say, right? And then Jesus continues on here in verse 8 through 13. I'll just paraphrase this. He's using kind of a tradition and talking, really giving like kind of a defined example of how they are forgetting the overall point, right? Like missing what's right in front of them. Uh, And then there's this passage starting in 14, and I don't want to glance over anything that needs to be dug into. uh, But in chapter 7, 14, verse 14, Jesus goes, and, and once again, I won't deal with all of this, but right here in 14, then he called the crowd again to, and said to him, so right, connecting back to uh, the fact that there's still a large crowd well, gathering. Go ahead. Yeah, and there's a contrast, right? The Pharisees and the scribes come, and they're talking about people having everyday common hands. And Jesus turns not to the Pharisees and the scribes, really. He turns to the crowd, which would be the common people. And, this, and the Pharisees in these texts that were written later, they're constantly critiquing the common people. They call them the Amha'aretz, the people of the land. The people of the land don't care about ritual purity. They don't care about the Torah, and they're critiquing them all the time. And so it's interesting that Jesus sometimes pulls back from the crowd, but in this moment, he leans into the crowd, right? He's addressing them rather than these religious leaders. So that's kind of an interesting contrast too. Yeah, and he says, listen to me, everyone understand there's nothing outside of a person that can defile him by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles him. And then just for a little more context, verse 19 and 20, for it does not enter his heart, right? So do you not understand that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, for it does not enter his heart, but his stomach, and then goes out into the sewer or into the latrine. Uh, This means, parenthetical here, this means all foods are clean. Uh, and then Jesus goes on in verse 20, says, what comes out of a person defiles him. And it's uh, evil ideas, sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, et cetera, et cetera, all of these things. And so this is a pretty uh, substantial statement that Jesus is making here. I think even the people who don't have a deep understanding or knowledge of the Old Testament or the Torah have always at least had an idea of some of the kosher laws, right? Like what are the laws about what can and cannot be eaten uh, as far as purity about what they're supposed to do. And so I think that that is something when you hear this or you read this um, from Jesus is it's a pretty substantial thing. So Travis, I want to pause for just a minute. And I know we've gone over a ton of this uh, chapter so far, but I want to see um, kind of in the same vein, what, what kind of questions have arisen in your spirit as you've read or processed some of this passage or these passages? Um, <clears throat> I don't know that I have a ton of big questions so far, but uh, just kind of reading through and trying to, again, challenge myself and think a little bit more not critically about it, but just think differently than I normally do. Not just trying to see what I can get from it. And, um, I try to do a little bit of, of research as far as the, some of the words that stood out to me, uh, that I just noticed. And so I don't know if it's worth pointing out, but 
I wanted to say something about it. Um, back in verse six and seven, when he's quoting the that part from Isaiah, and I noticed that in the NET translation that you read, it said uh, that their hearts are far from me. And I'm looking at an ESV translation, and it just says their heart is far from me. And looking into that, it was like the sort of translation note said that that was like their collective heart. And so it just had me thinking of other things that we have read in the past and things that I've learned about, like the way that their community identity kind of was the priority more than just this individualistic thing that we normally are used to, um, modern day Western people. Um, so I just thought that was interesting and it's a really tiny thing, but I want to do some research and tell you that I'm doing more than just reading. <laughs> yeah. I'm, and I will say this, you, you, I think you say it's a tiny thing, but that's actually a pretty substantial point for a Western Christian to recognize that a bulk of uh, the scripture is written towards a collective culture. Um, I mean, a bulk, all of it is written towards a collective culture. And so, this is one of the dangers of taking the text and making everything this individualized. Well, this is what it's saying to me. It's not a danger. Like there's, there's probably some points where it may get to that uh, level of like, ah, eh, you're not really reading it correctly, but, but really so much of the heart of the scripture is toward the collective, um, the people of God and how they should act. And and we talk about, you know, using the word all y'all, right? Like as an Oklahoman <laughs> is Paul and Jesus are, are, regularly talking about the collective, the all y'all. And so, Jimmy, anything you feel like you don't want to skip over that? I think that's such a big part uh, that really, as a Western Christian, we struggle with. Yeah, I think that's a good catch. I mean, I think it's a good catch. Like, I think God in Isaiah was addressing a people for their sins, and he he talks about them as if they are an individual unit. Like, my people, Israel, he does this, right? <clears throat> Um, a lot of times the English translations will say they are doing this, but in the Hebrew, it would be he is doing this because it's one group of people, Israel. Um, and in this case, it's uh, their heart, right? So it is plural to singular. So that's a good catch. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to ask is right following that in verse eight, uh, when Jesus is saying, you leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. I, I looked in the, I think it's, I guess just the, I don't know if it's a strong concordance or whatever, but the word leave and looked at other places that that's used. And I was surprised that some of the other verses, it's the same word that is used for forgive or forgiveness. And yeah, initially I was like, what? And I kind of came to this place, like, even though this is sort of a negative context as far as like leaving the commandment of God. But when I th- think of that, and the way that's like you sort of drop it or forget about it or don't regard it as important anymore. And then I think about forgiveness in that way. Like it's not just like accepting someone's apology or whatever, but it's like it is this sort of idea of leaving something. Like if I, if I, or for me and like in my relationship with God, like if I'm forgiven, like he's left it. Like it's not like he like gives me a pass, but it's, I don't know. He, he leaves it. He sets it down and it's not, it's not an issue anymore, I guess. And so that was just something that was neat to, to read. Travis, that is so good. Oh man, that is so good. So the thing is, is um, 
Mark uses this word 34 times. So you got 16 chapters, barely 16 chapters, and Mark uses this word 34 times. It's a word that he really likes. That's when an the average of twice a chapter. Twice a chapter, Jimmy. I mean, this it's, is, it's, I'm, just, I'm just contributing yeah. here, man. So that's <laughs> yeah, my math you. skills. You, just want to let you know. So um, it's a word. So when, when Peter and Andrew drop their nets, they uh, release, they drop their nets. This is the same word. When um, James and John leave their father, it's the same word. They abandon their father. They release, they drop their father and go. When Jesus heals the man who's the paralytic and says, your sins are forgiven you, what he says is your sins are released from you. That's, that's the word forgiveness means release. And it's very, in a Jewish context, the idea of forgiveness is release. So you have the year of release, right? Mm. Um, <clears throat> when it comes to like the Jubilee year. So in this case, in this passage that we're looking at, um, he's saying, uh, you know, they um, are engaging in this uh, issue of <clears throat> whether or not they're holding someone uh, liable to the law or not. So even the Corbin thing uses that word release. I, I'm released from giving you father and mother, this thing that I've decided to, to, to entrust to God. So um, yeah, it's a good word and it does mean forgiveness and it means release. And I wish there was a way in English to capture all of those things. Like it's the letting go, right? John the Baptist is baptizing and he's baptizing them for the letting go, the release of sins. Uh, so another good catch, man. Good catch, Travis. <laughs> well, it's one Dang. of those things that like you guys bring up a lot. And like I've heard you say, like explain doing that same thing, like explaining, well, this word is actually used in this way. And so like having that concordance as a resource it's just, it just adds so much, at least for me, like to see how this word is actually used to understand more of the translation. And like, you know, they say like, it's easier to learn a language when you're in the middle of it, like only with native speakers or whatever. And so like, I think of my experiences with Spanish and like, when we go to Guatemala and I am in this place where they like, they all do speak English, but I try to only use Spanish and, you know, we communicate that way. And also side note, so thankful for technology. We had a little FaceTime video call or Facebook video chat with some of the girls in the children's home this week. It was pretty fun anyway. Uh, but trying to speak Spanish and remembering like, I understand so much more of like how phrases and words are used that like, when I learned them from a textbook in school, I sort of understood the meaning in one way, but like understanding the meaning in conversation, like just adds so much. And so that's like trying to do that with the concordance and with the original languages. Like, you know, sometimes it doesn't really mean much. Like it's, Ooh, this is going to be a good one. And I look it up and it's like, Oh, okay, well that is what it is. But sometimes it does uh, add a lot of flavor. And I think since we're doing these readings, like if someone was looking at the Greek words, even not knowing Greek, if you looked at the Greek words each day as you're reading, you would notice, hey, these are words that Mark uses over and over. So other words in this passage that Mark uses over and over, just as long as we're talking about it. So there's this release, right? You're, you're letting go of the commands of God, he says here in verse 8, um, to hold on to, which is another word that Mark likes. Mark, when Jesus grabs Peter's mom's hand, when he grabs the little girl's hand who he heals, he's holding tightly to their hand. Uh, Mark uses this word uh, several times. And in this passage, he's saying, 
you're letting go, you're releasing the commands of God so that you can hold tightly to the uh, handing down of men or the handing down of the elders. And that word for handing down is uh, the same word that is translated sometimes betray. It's a handing over. So when John the Baptist is, when he first describes John the Baptist uh, being arrested, that's the same word. John the Baptist is handed over. <clears throat> when Jesus is betrayed by Judas, it's the same word, paradosis, handed over. But it's the idea of giving over. But Mark's probably using a play on words because he's not, he doesn't use that word a whole lot other than in this passage and in those passages where someone is being handed over and being arrested. And there's the idea that they're letting go of God's commands. They're holding tightly to these, this handing over of the elders. And there's kind of this notion that there's a betrayal taking place, that by holding so tightly to these things that are handed down, they're missing what God actually has. And it's also interesting that the word man happens in this passage. It happens 11 times in this little passage. It happens more here than any other place in the New Testament in, in, in terms of number of words. And this is kind of a focus, I think, that there's a way of God and there is a way of man. And the way of man is a way of betraying the things of God. It's handing things over It's that uh, shouldn't be handed over. And we should hold tightly to the commands of God, to the things of God, to the way of God, and not to the ways of men. This would have been highly controversial in Jesus' day because the traditions of the elders, is, I mean, for the Pharisees, it would have been everything in the world. And Jesus is basically saying, hey, I'm changing some things up here. Let's, let's go back. Let's not try to set aside the commands of God. Let's try to lean into what God has. But at the same time, we know this, that even in doing that, he's, trans, he's doing his own halakha because he says things like, hey, you know what? The Sabbath wasn't, uh, man wasn't made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man is what he says earlier in one of our readings. Like he's also rethinking and retranslating that himself. So uh, fascinating thing, all these little things. For those of you who are listening, you're like, man, I'm completely lost. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it does matter that these things were written in Greek and what Travis is engaging in on a very elementary level, which is where everybody has to start is looking up things and, and reading exegesis from the text, learning about the language. And it brings out these things that gives further depth and meaning. And uh, even though it might be easy to get lost as you're listening to it, when you're actually engaging it, it can give this fullness to the picture that maybe you did not get before. So, yeah. And I think that's an important thing to bring up, especially in the light of the fact that for those of us that read the Old Testament and the New Testament in the last two years, uh, is one of the reasons we slowed down is so that if you take, if you were reading three chapters a day, which is what roughly the Old Testament reading was, uh, and the New Testament was roughly two, you know, one and a half, two chapters a day. If you took the exact same amount of time that it took just to skim those, right, so 15, 20, 30 minutes, and you took some of these 10, 15 verse uh, days for us and you put that same amount of time in, uh, that's one of the reasons you do more deliberate is so that you can take some of the time to do some of that extra work. And so, and we've mentioned this before, but one of the easiest things you can do, so many free resources, uh, on, on the internet that you can utilize to help in some of this, but also just for a small fee on BibleGateway.com, I think five bucks a month is what you said. You can get a lot of these resources and some commentaries as well. And so don't feel overwhelmed by this or like you're missing out if you're not able to do it. 
But we just challenge you as you read this. And this is one of the things where the forum can really be helpful is if you can go in there and instead of just doing your general reading and thoughts like, hey, what are some things that you did some, you know, a little digger or a little deeper digging on uh, that that can really help maybe enliven the scripture. Um, and that's I've always go back to that Hebrew passage uh, that the scripture is alive and active sharper than a double-edged sword. And for me, as it's, and this may be, you know, me thinking too much about it, but I do think that there is such a depth and a vibrancy to the text as you open up. It's almost like a, you know, layers of, you know, you can pull, because just on the surface, you get so much out of it. And then you can pull back little pieces here and there and get even more of this scripture coming alive to you. And so, uh, just to challenge, encourage um, all of you. And that's partly to myself as well as I catch myself just trying to get through the reading some days because I didn't allot the amount of time. But but if you can be intentional with this, it can really be an, an even more powerful experience as you engage in the story of Jesus. Any other thoughts as we kind of conclude that part of uh, at least that initial part, but then we can start kind of getting into this, what defiles and what doesn't defile. Go ahead, Jimmy. Yeah, I mean that's what I was going to get in, like get into. Um, <clears throat> there are lists in the New Testament and another ancient text of um, you know moral and immorality lists, and I think that's the big point that Jesus is getting to. You know, in the Old Testament, um, <clears throat> there's basically a judgment on the heart of humanity that, uh, in a hyperbolic way, I think hyperbolic way, God says, you know, about humanity that that our hearts are focused on evil all the time. And I think that's what Jesus is bringing this issue down to. Like, um, just like the Old Testament prophets that would that he was quoting here in Isaiah, um, it's not about following and checking off these commands as a way of being ritually pure in order to earn something from God or to be able to come before God. It's addressing the issue of the heart because God made us to be like him, to be in his image. And Jesus is the perfect example of that in a human being. My problem is, is I have a heart that has impure impurity in it. And without the work of the Holy Spirit, if I give myself over to that, I'm going to be making myself impure by my actions and the things that I do, not by the things that come into me, but by the things that are already inside of me in this broken self that I have. Um, and so like this list in verse, it starts in verse 21, for, for from within, out of the human heart comes evil <clears throat> ideas, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, evil, deceit, debauchery, envy, slander, pride, and folly. All of these evils come from within and defile a person. And I think the thing is, is the Pharisees are trying to check off this ritual impurity aspect to make everybody follow that. And Jesus is saying, man, the real issue is that we have to deal with these things that are within us. Um, and my guess is, I know this for myself, reading this list. I'm on this list. These things are in my heart, and they're not just in my heart. Sometimes they come out, and they take place, and they make me, uh, they continue my brokenness and the brokenness of the world. They make me impure. And impurity is contagious. That's the other kind of idea, going back to what Travis was saying earlier, this group idea, that I can't engage in these types of things without affecting other people. Um and that's, I think that's really what Jesus is wanting to, to address. If you go to the marketplace and you have greed in your heart and you're acting out of greed, it won't matter how much you wash coming back from the marketplace. You've been a greedy person. You are, you are, you've made yourself impure. Yeah. 
All right, that is a a, a good stopping point is uh, verse 23 here, just talking about defiling. We're going to come back in our next episode, talk a little bit more about uh, Jesus's kind of this evolution of the kingdom of God who's in or out by looking at the story of the Syrophoenician woman. And so uh, thank you again for listening. Make sure you check out part two of, of chapter seven, because there's some really important stuff not to miss. Uh, But until we come back, then uh, remember to share this. Join us in reading scripture at read-scripture.com. And we will see you on the next chapter seven podcast when we look at the Syrophoenician woman and Jesus's healing of a deaf mute.